This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you for new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Of course, whenever breaking news happens and every Saturday at 3 p.m. on WPRO Radio. Today, welcoming back one of our favorite guests here on B-Town, Rhode Island's Director of Veteran Affairs, Kasim Yarn. Always great to have the director here on the program. Always interesting and important discussion, plus a lot of fun. I think he stands out as just like, I, I wonder if if anyone ever did a poll of like favorability of Rhode Island government officials. I don't know. You'd have to think that uh, the director would be right there at the top. You know what I mean? It's hard to uh, not love this man's energy and the work that he does and what he brings to our state. Um, we've had him on the program many times here and always get great feedback, so Wonderful to have him back here on Rhode Island's podcast of record. You know, there's so much going on in the state right now, and we're ramping up for political season. A lot of candidate announcements in recent times, and even kind of the reverberation of announcements that were made in 2021 that are starting to pick up steam. You can count on Bartholomew Town to be there for you throughout 2022 as we will profile candidates, we will look at issues, we've got some debate scheduled. The whole deal, B-Town is your Rhode Island election headquarters. Is that some? Is anyone else using that phrase? I bet someone is. I bet like Channel 12 or somebody has that specifically trademarked. So maybe I shouldn't say that again. But if you care about the election, you care about politics in Rhode Island, spread the word. B-Town is where you'll get in-depth conversations with the candidates. And look, you know, I think it's important to profile everybody. Because there's a lot of candidates, some people would call them renegade candidates. There's there's people who are off the grid who are not necessarily even profiled by parties themselves, whether it's the GOP or the Democratic Prime or Democratic Party. And I think we're gonna try to spend as much time as we can, of course, profiling the big names, but also taking a look at some of these um I don't know, outsider candidates, because we want to give a robust version of events as to what's happening with election 2022. So stay tuned for plenty of that. But for today, welcoming back to the pod, Rhode Island's Director of Veteran Affairs, Kasim Yarn. Well, I said in the open that if we were to poll Rhode Island and say, okay, who is the most likable figure in, in state government? I would argue that you would probably be towards the top. I don't know if, uh, if you agree with that uh, not from your perspective looking outwards, but you know, it, it's we're at a moment right now where there's been it's gotten so splintered that that there's just this anti state mentality that we see both on the left and right, honestly, that has just gotten so out of control. And then what happens is people forget about the work that's actually being done on a daily basis. Um, I guess let's start right there. I mean, your take on just this current moment and how it distracts from important issues that are either specific to your office or just even in general? You know, Bill, thank you for having me on your show, your podcast once again. You know, this is truly, this, I think this is our third installment. Yes. Uh, third third of many to come, I hope. Yes. Uh, you know, as I as I start to take, a, you know, as, as leaders, a leader has to be very introspective and looking internally to figure out what his or her strengths and weaknesses are, as I've shared with you before. Well, you know, this, you know, and I'm, and also being a man of faith and to believe, you know, I, you know, when we first had this, when this virus first hit, you know, we've not experienced this, obviously, to state the obvious, we've not experienced something like this in the past. But I noticed something, and there's something weird was happening. 
families start to do things together that I've never seen before. You know, husband and wives out there working in the yard together. More so, everybody's confined to their homes. So they started to look inward as families looking inward, uh, being, you know, had to, you know, stay home. And I, I and it was very refreshing to see, you know, our family group coach together as regard. We're cooking dinners together. We're talking about certain things, you know, the, the, the hot topics that it was, you know, it was, we started to see progress. Families working together to, 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 that's what I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's goodness coming out of this virus. So then you start to see the civil upheaval that is going across our nation uh, regarding the injustices that were happening. And so now we're faced with a pandemic, but how can you respond to a pandemic when you got social upheaval going throughout the spreading? And so, and oh, by the way, we're in a campaign year, the second year anyway, and now we start to be very divisive. So here we are, something that starts to unite us to combat something. Now, those very same virtues are ripping, ripping us apart from each other. And it's gotten so bad to where we can't engage in civil discourse. And, that, and that's a fundamental problem. So in, in terms of leadership, I have to do a better job in looking internally, but more importantly, set the right example. Hence why when it's so critically important for me, anytime I'm asked to publicly speak to our youth, and I use Bishop Henneken as an example, it is so critically important as adults. We've got to do a better job at, you know, engaging with our youth, giving them the tools that they need to be successful, but also, too, they got to do the work. So this whole common theme is there's work along those lines, too, as well. But Government needs to work there for those that can't assist themselves. But on the same token, we've got also developability to assist our own selves as well in order to impact change along those lines as well. So it's a, it's a complicated problem. But the key, Bill, I think, is to getting the right folks in the room to ability to engage in civil discourse and set the example for others to emulate. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And And it's like, you know, I've always been someone that is as a political independent, you know, there's things I have strong convictions on. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm, I'm, you know, happy to go whatever way the wind blows, but there are also disagreements that can be when you're in the room with somebody and you have a, a conversation about, okay, here's, here's my view. Here's your view. Where's the common ground? How do we work through these challenges? It feels like we've gotten to a point where there's just name calling and, you know, you, if, if you want to, if, if you're somebody who was pro having masks on students during the, <laughs> the pandemic, uh, you know, you you couldn't possibly get along with somebody who thought the masks were child abuse or something like that. It just got so out of control that it was almost um, it was scary and dangerous for the the function of the, the functions of democracy. And then you start to say, well, what about other acute problems? Your office and in, in, in terms of veterans affairs and and the debt that we owe to our veterans on a on a practical on a moral basis and anybody who it can't serve themselves at 100 percent you know that's that's the responsibility of government so when we tear apart the the fabric there you know it's it's uh through these divisive tactics that emerged it leaves the most vulnerable people hanging out to dry. And I think that's the greatest right. travesty right. of all of this. Right. And, and to that point, 
point, this is why it was so critically important that June of last year, we were one of the first offices in the state to open our doors for walk-ins. It, to your point, it is just that critically important. So my job is to be that advocate, be the number one advocate for the veteran and military family. Well, you got to do that. It, start, it starts at home. And so as I, the team that I am trying to build is that we want to enhance the veteran experience. And we do that through the having a home mentality. When a veteran or family walk through our doors, our job is to treat them like they're our brothers and sisters. And this is their home along those lines. Uh, we have resources available. We have a resource center set up to where if you were walked in, the set will be just like you were at your home with a desktop, computer, printer, what have you. And we walk you through that whole process but over the shoulder if needed to guide you. Because a lot of programs now in terms of ability to apply for those things are all done online. Well, the, we have 80 percent of my veteran population are over the age of 55. And so that demographic, not necessarily that tech savvy, as opposed to the younger generation of veterans. So not only do I have to simultaneously develop programs and assist those that are in the older population, I also got to do, I don't want to insult the intelligence of our younger generation of veteran military family members too as well. So I also got to make sure that our services are robust as well through make sure our website is up to date. All the information that we have, multiple ways that we can reach out to the veteran family member to include our ability to reach the veteran where they're living in their homes uh, in that regard. So that's so critically important to develop a partnership, uh, to leverage state capabilities, to leverage municipality capabilities, and also, too, to bring our federal partners to the conversation as well, because they have resources as well that we can leverage their capabilities also. Right. And that integration between the state and federal levels and even the municipal levels is something that also is we kind of realized, wow, this is this is more than just talking points when it when it's in through COVID. It's like the execution of distribution of PPE or whatever it is or now grant oh, dollars. I mean, come on, that is absolutely but you but you know what, Bill? We have a great opportunity to learn from the mistakes of the past. Yeah. And don't continually make those mistakes over and over again. And then, and that's where we, that's why our office is so critically important to we taking the lessons learned, you know, for the, for the, for example, the veterans home, we've learned the importance of, you know, being able to mitigate those that live in congregate settings. We know that the vaccinations work. We know that the maskings work in our elderly population with those elderly centers, for example, the nursing homes, the family assist centers across the region, the assisted living facilities, all of those, all of those entities, okay, they have a central population that is our collective job is to, you know, to, to, to safeguard their lives. Yes. You know, when I, when I have a veteran that's, that's, that's uh, a resident at the veteran's home, that's my responsibility, that I'm sending the message to their family members that they, we, it's our watch, their job, our job is to protect and care for them and, and provide the care for them as well. And I said my entire staff are committed to that work. And, uh, you know, for over two years now, we've only had 10 deaths uh, at veterans homes that were, that, that were COVID, you know, that had real positive cases. Only 10, granted, one death is one death too many. But sure. to the hard work of the team, uh, we've been able to mitigate the virus. We've had substantial uh, you know, challenges in terms of our staffing, but everybody's in that same boat. But we're working across agency uh, to address ways that we can address the staffing needs of our agency as well, simultaneously addressing the staffing needs, the staffing needs of the other agencies as well. 
And that's an incredible number when, when you compare it to some of the other congregate care facilities in the state or, or just facilities in general that we just saw such a tragedy take place. Um, but you're right, moving forward and learning. And I guess that brings us to the annual report 2021, which I had a chance to peruse your big takeaways from that report, which can be found, um, I believe it can be found on your website properly. If anyone's interested in checking it out, I'll link to it on Twitter at Bill Bartholomew as well. Thank you, vets.ri.gov. Just put one of the drop-down menus, annual reports, and it's right there. All ever since every annual report since I've been a director, six, this is our six more iteration of this now, and they're all posted on the state's website. What are the big takeaways from the report for you? Well, one I think is to address the mental health needs of our veterans' military families. You know, one of the, one of the takeaways coming out of COVID is you know the mental health things. You know, because we were so isolated from each other. You know, we're human beings. We're meant to interact. When we have put us in a uh, separated from each other, there are some healthcare challenges that the two we experience amongst our children, uh, more so uh, regarding amongst our family members as well. And so, my thing is to develop a list of options uh, for the family members for any Rhode Islander can get access to and help as well. Because I think you know, as we start to continue to unravel, you know, these the issues that we're seeing uh, across different demographics, you know, we know that getting assistance. Uh, looks different for each other. Yeah. And so my job is to integrate and create and heighten awareness, but also to give options to the veteran, military family, Rhode Islander uh, options to get some type of assistance. And I also got to be able to take those, get that assistance uh, as well. You know, not to, I got to be able to say, okay, it's okay, still okay, not to be okay. But that's also, if, if I am going to say those words, then I got to also practice what I preach. I got to take time out for myself. I got to go seek some help uh, if I feel in uh, stress or some along the lines too. I got to be able to develop ability to talk to someone, to share my life experiences with others, to go public speak at different venues like Bishop Hennigan, to talk to those young men, to be a shoulder to cry on, to be a sounding board that I am my brothers and my sisters keepers along the line and to set that example. Uh, Is that an easy task? No. But if we do it collaboratively in a collaborative way, working together, we can move the needle just a little bit. Well, one thing that's for sure is that cannabis is a hot topic right now in Rhode Island, politically, economically, culturally. It's something that I've heard from a lot of you on in terms of great feedback from our Inside Rhode Island Cannabis series presented by Pure Vita Labs. And if you find yourself listening to that series and wishing you were more educated on the topic, or perhaps you want to jump into the game, jump into this emerging industry, well, the University of Rhode Island offers an online certificate in cannabis studies through a summer program. The application deadline is coming right up on April 5th. Now, this is fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy. The program covers topics related to product development, chemical analysis and testing, patient and customer therapeutics, and beyond. Again, that application deadline is coming up on April 5th for the summer session, and the first course starts on May 10th. Learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or call 401-874-5280. That's 401-874-5280. Rhode Island and national politics, media, arts, and newsmakers. Bartholomew Town with Bill Bartholomew, Saturdays at 3 p.m. on News Talk 99.7 FM and AM 630 WPR. Now back to B-Town. 
Yeah, no question about it. And I think that's exactly it. I was with a dear friend of mine who served in both Iraq and Afghanistan a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, just that those conversations about he's a wonderful artist. He actually lives in Los Angeles now and is a great filmmaker, but that it, it's important to just pause and and realize like, exactly as you said, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to reflect on what happened. It's okay to reflect on what's happening right now in Ukraine and Russia and, and anxiety that's induced there and thinking about the younger generation. All that is, those are real and reasonable conversations to have and essential. And if and, and your office has provided a lot of foundation for that to take place here in Rhode Island. And, um, you know, I can only imagine how rewarding it is to be able to facilitate that type of dialogue for our, our veterans here on a regular basis. And you must get a lot of real feed. I mean, your, your feedback must be pretty authentic on a regular basis. I continue to serve with humility and uh, it is no greater blessing uh, when you advocate uh, on someone else's behalf. Uh, my brothers and sisters, you know, for example, our women veteran population, the largest demographic going that are transitioned back to our communities is our women warriors or our women warriors. And so with that said, so I firm, I'm a firm believer of this, that if in order to serve a community, you've got to represent them. Yep. So I recently hired a, a woman to run our women's program. Imagine that. If we have, <laughs> right. if we're, if we're saying women are our priority. Then I got to have representation that represent them that can intercede and speak on their behalf. So that's another takeaway that came out in reporters too. We have a woman coordinator at the state level that if a, if a woman has a concern or comment or need, we can go to our director John's office and we can get some assistance uh, that we need and advocate and intercede on their behalf. So foundational. Um, when you look at the state right now and the in in this we're not post covid i don't think that's fair to say but we're certainly in a much better place than we've been in years um not only in the context of of your office and in terms of veterans affairs but right now what do you think we need to do to kind of get back on track collectively where some of the issues are going to be almost impossible to resolve. People have fundamentally different beliefs on what should be taught in school or something like that. But what, what's the common ground? You seem like somebody who is that the center of the Venn diagram that can say, what, what can we all get behind? How can we all feel united at some level again? Because it's, it's so sad. Some of the, I, I honestly have felt so sad sometimes when I just going on Twitter and seeing the reaction to something that should be a completely benign interview that I post with a candidate or an elected person or an innovator in healthcare or something like that. And, and just the idea that there, if we're not united on science and, and medicine, if we're not united on just a general collective moral spirituality of goodness, it just, we just, I just feel so lost sometimes. What's the center that we need to get behind? You know what? I think that first of all, I got, first of all, I'll set an example. It, all, it, it starts with the individual first. If you don't have a sense of compassion in your heart about someone that's less fortunate than you and the willingness to give and don't regret someone else's wealth or status along those lines, I turn into a positive. It motivates me to do better, to be a better human being, to be a better father, be a better husband, be a better director, be a better colleague, be a better citizen, be a better a church-going parishioner, be a better person that's walking to say good morning to somebody. 
mm. or saying good afternoon or say thank you or better simply more simply calling everybody sir or ma'am treating people like you want to be treated it starts with me initially and then so we say okay let's if we're going to define a problem in order to define that problem and we're going to have to develop some solutions it goes back to getting the right people in the room if i'm going to develop a policy about our children then I better have the parents involved in that discussion. Yep. If I'm talking about education, then I need to have the teachers that are going to impact that child's life. That needs to be in the discussion. And all by the world, no, we know that there's going to be some mental health issues as well. Then we need to have some leadership uh, in that in that field in that discussion, in order to collectively drive ourselves to a compromise. There's another big word that we that we send that we've lost in the shuffle, our ability to compromise. And I, I say we're not five years old getting everything what we want when we want it. it re- life requires compromise, with work and compromise in order to do that. And if we start to do that, now we're on to something. Now we're going to see, okay, wait a minute. It's never about us. It's never about the individual. It's about the people that we serve. So if we want to move the needle on education regarding our children, then we got to get the families. The families got to be engaged at home. But guess what? If you start to peel that on your back, and let's look at the family model at home. Are we, are we supporting the family structures at home? And I would argue there's some room to prove with that too. So let's start to look at that. What are the tools are we giving our parent, our family members, our parents to be successful, to give them the tools that they need uh, as well? And so those are the challenges that we're faced with. But the ways we combat those challenges is by getting the right people in the room and develop policies together, Simon hand. So that way, when we come up with a decision and we walk through that door, we're all on the same page. Are we going to have some differences? Absolutely. Call life. We want to have those differences. Let's air all those differences out to get us on the right page. And when we air those differences, okay, let's now start to develop some solutions to those differences to get us to a compromised decision. So fundamental and, and, and not said anywhere near enough. There's no question about it. I mean, it's like, yeah, so true. And, and everybody can hear that and reflect on that and figure out a way forward based on exactly what you just said there. You're in your second administration. Now we're over a year into the McKee administration. Um, You've previously said here on this show that you would never be interested in running for governor or anything like that. Is that still the case? Still the case, sir. <laughs> no way, no how. You know, it just, it just the, the challenges. And again, uh, I'm, I, I'm not, not against those that are seeking to run for public office on last two. I think my mission uh, is to serve in a director type capacity uh, to lead uh, an organization on those last two. And also be, to be able to advise our elected officials. You know, all of our elected officials refer to each other all the time. They have a constituency. They may have an issue. Hey, let's go select, get Director Yard's office, give him a call and see if we can work it out. And we work it out together. You know, and, 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 I, and I take an honor knowing that, hey, if a constituent in one of our municipalities has a concern, reach out to our office and we'll sit down, do our due diligence, find out what's the, what our left-right limits are, if there's any gray areas, and, and advise that veteran and a family member accordingly. Some of it may not be the right, the right thing you want to hear, but you know what I'm saying? But we're bounded by, you know, what our left, right limits are, but on the same token to intercede on behalf of that veteran and military family. Last question. And I think it's extremely important for veterans that are out there listening right now, or family members or friends of veterans, anyone who's in a community that, you know, connecting 
that veteran with you and your office? What's the process? You said it's an open door, but walk us through day one of somebody who is disconnected from the office and why they should, I guess, try to, I don't know if it's selling them on it, but but why is it important for, for your office and veterans in this state to be integrated um, as much as possible? We have, we are, we have so much, we are surrounded by technology and diversity. So I've got to develop a multi-pronged approach to reach that, communicate with that veteran and military family. Multi-pronged approach. For those that are tech savvy, look no further. Vets.ri.gov. This is our, this is a clearinghouse for our, all of our veterans programs and providers. I know when I first started down this journey together as a director, our website was an abomination. If I couldn't effectively use it, how can I expect a, a World War II veteran, his or her family, to navigate something when I can't use it as a younger veteran? So I had it nu- literally nuked off the planet, and we broke it, broke, broke it down from scratch, and we rebuilt it to, to resemble the needs of our veterans and military families. Go to our website. On that website, if you scroll down the bottom, it's a contact us link. You fill out the information. You hit submit. Within, as soon as you hit submit, I get that email, and several members on my team, we get that same email. Within 24, 40 hours, someone from my office is going to get back in touch with you. Someone would require email, or it may require a call in, or it may require you just have to set up an appointment to come into our office, and we work through those issues. That's one strategic plan. The next option is just to walk in. 560 Jefferson Boulevard in Warwick. We chose Warwick for a reason because we're aware of our Rhode Islanders having <laughs> yeah. to drive all the way somewhere, right? <laughs> right. But the beauty about Warwick is centrally located on Jefferson Boulevard. We have two Ripter routes right on the turn, a block over from the airport, a reference point. Everybody is right next to the Honeydew Donuts that's on Jefferson Boulevard. <laughs> yes. Always got to give a reference point, right? <laughs> someone to walk in our office and say if that doesn't work for you okay pick up the phone 401-921-2119 that's our general line number 921-2119 dial it someone's going to pick up the phone if you leave a message my line somebody's going to get in touch with you back to assist you along your along your life journeys to include your families now and now we're getting more family members reaching out to us to say, hey, mom and dad, they're getting a little older. What are some benefits? They never apply for VA benefits. What are the prerequisites to getting into the veterans home? And oh, by the way, we may be thinking about mortuary affairs as well and this and afterlife planning also. Will we assist those families uh, with that planning process as well by helping them fill out the applications, by seeing that they got the prerequisites DD-214 or the paperwork uh, that they need to make sure that they're eligible, they're eligible for those various programs. We walk them through it hand by hand, hand over hand. Director, always an extreme pleasure. Thanks for uh, hopping on again. And I look forward to much more of this. And you are truly, you know, just such an inspiring leader in the state. And I, I mean that sincerely. And I speak of that any chance I can. Just what a, what an incredibly compassionate, humble, and caring leader you are. And, um, the, just to me, just a, tr- a total role model. So thank you for what you've done for this state. Thank you, sir. And anytime you need me, please call I'll, I'll, and I'll run to you. I'll run to the airways for you.
<laughs> awesome. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town.